interested in ill, I'm ready for my close-up. I should come up sometimes, see me. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Pretty sure. Stuff that dreams are made of. Hi, Wendy here. Before we start off our episode today, I want to remind everybody to check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Also, please leave a rating or comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on social media by simply searching Silver Screen Time Machine, and please make sure you follow our podcast, Silver Screen Time Machine, anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome again to Silver Screen Time Machine, Wendy's Classic Film Review. Today we have a guest, Gwendolyn. Welcome, Gwendolyn. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're involved in a lot of things. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So I'm Gwendolyn Keist, and I'm a writer, mostly horror fiction and nonfiction, but a variety of different things. So I've written novels, short stories, short story collections, essays, and I love classic films so much. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. I love, obviously, classic horror, but I love so much classic film. Yeah. Probably not all. I shouldn't say all. There's some classic films no but <laughs> lots and lots of classic and how film. can people read your books if they want to i have a website gwendolynkeist.com it's got everything on there that's you know sort of the landing spot i'm also on social media so on facebook and on instagram you can find me there yeah so check it out if you like horror books since you're such a fan of horror the choice we made here is surprising this was your choice <laughs> but we are getting on our time machine and we are going back to 1961 and we are talking about the Misfits. The Misfits, not a horror film at all. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, after we finished rewatching it, because my husband and I have seen it a number of times, he's like, it is kind of a horror film, well, there, though, because there's a lot of existential yeah. dread in it. So and there's, there's definitely there, elements. There's some horrible scenes re- regarding animals, but we will get yes, to that. Yes, yes. Yes, my least favorite part of the film, but... Mm-hmm. And I, we should also mention that although I'm called Wendy, my name is actually Gwendolyn as well. So we both have the I same know. name. I know. I love that. Two Gwendolyns. Yes. That's not, you know, that's not a confluence no. of events that happen nearly yeah. enough. <laughs> it's very, very uncommon name. So it's very funny that we're both named that. But The Misfits, this is directed by John Huston, two-time Oscar winner, best director, best screenplay for The Treasure of Sierra Madre. Mm -hmm. He actually has 14 Oscar nominations because he started out as a screenplay writer and a lot of his films, he did the directing and the screenplay. Mm -hmm. So he got nominated twice. Mm -hmm. He's also the son of an old actor, Walter Houston, who is actually a really good actor. I'm really a big fan of Walter Houston. Mm -hmm. Not as big a fan of John Houston, I have to tell you. Oh, I can't wait to talk more about that. It's more a personal matter, (laughs) not not based on his films, but his general attitude towards Mm -hmm. certain people. But Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Screenplay by Arthur Miller. <laughs> Do we like Arthur Miller? Ah, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I like I like his writing. Yeah. I love The Crucible. I love this. So but. he did have an Oscar nomination for The Crucible. He's basically a playwright. He adapted several of his plays mm-hmm. into film, mm-hmm. including this one. This was, I guess, actually kind of a short story. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner. He's known for his play, The Death of a Salesman, is his most famous. Um, he also had some involvement with the House Un-American Activities Committee yes. because yes. he was labeled a communist. Yep. Yep. Uh, he did not name names like certain directors. but Yes, like we, like a certain director. Yeah, a certain I, there's director. always one that comes to mind for yes, everyone. Yes, yes. So I, if you know who we're talking about, it's very obvious. But he did so. not name names, but married mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. Yes. And in fact, Marilyn Monroe's in this film. Yes. So this is kind of an awkward situation here. We will get to that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. The score, Alex North. Alex North has 15 Oscar nominations. He also won a Lifetime Achievement Award, and he was only one of two film composers to ever win that award. A couple interesting things. He wrote the music to Spartacus, Cleopatra, and A Streetcar Named Desire, in addition to this film. And he also wrote the music for Unchained Melody. You know, that ghost song. Yeah, I know, right? That's like, I feel like what everybody always thinks of. Yeah, well, I actually didn't know that. And he is from Chester, PA, Alex North. So a Pennsylvania boy, I guess. (laughs) Cinematography, Russell Meddy. He's a two-time Oscar nominee. He won an Oscar for Spartacus. He actually did some Orson Welles films, Touch of Evil and the Stranger, 
And he was a regular collaborator with, I think somebody is one of your favorites, Douglas Sirk. Oh, yeah. He made 11 films with Douglas Sirk. That is so interesting that he he worked with Orson Welles and Douglas Sirk because I can see the influence of both of those types of films. Like, I can see how this kind of fits into that very stark black and white, but then also the melodrama of it. Interesting. I love that. I like the cinematography in this film. It's very nice, the black and white. And there's a lot of beautiful landscapey shots here. Mm -hmm. And John Houston is an on-location guy. He is Mm -hmm. not a studio guy, Mm -hmm. despite what he will drag all his actors through and make (laughs) make their lives miserable hell. But he is a location guy, and this was filmed on location in Nevada. Mm -hmm. So the editor, George Tomasini, he actually was a big-time Alfred Hitchcock guy. He did a lot of Alfred Hitchcock films. He has an Oscar nomination for North by Northwest, but he did Mm -hmm. Vertigo, To Catch a Thief, Psycho, The Birds. His sort of trademark was use of jump cuts and overlapping dialogue for exclamation points, which was dynamic and inventive at the time. (laughs) That covers the crew. (laughs) Did you have any comments on any of the crew? What did you think of the score? Because the score to me is kind of mm, there. Sometimes I'll say, oh, that's nice there. But a lot of times I don't really pay much attention to it, to be honest. Yeah, in this film, I don't feel like it was super showy. I remember a couple times when there were these kind of moments of melodrama. I remember really surging and Mm -hmm. noticing it then in a way that I did think worked. Yeah, This is a movie of intense emotion. This is a melodrama. And so I felt like that worked. I felt like those moments work. But yeah, overall, it wasn't something like that I can think of any exact song or moment. Yeah, you can't even really like hum it. Exactly. Exactly. Remember, you're like, okay, it was Mm -hmm. there, but we don't remember much about it. But no, it does have, it does definitely have some very big music in certain scenes where there's big action going on in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. This film stars Clark Gable, Mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe, Montgomery Clift, Eli Wallach, and Thelma Ritter, which is a great, great cast. You have two really fantastic character actors there. Thelma Ritter and Eli Wallach are both amazing actors. Yes. Thelma Ritter is a six-time Oscar nominee. Nominee, but never won, I don't never think. Never won. I, that was so, so wrong. I love her in Rear Window. I feel like that was the first thing I remember yep. seeing her in as a kid. And so that was what I really relate to her all the time. But I remember seeing this film for the first time not long after seeing Rear Window and just loving her in this as well. And there is a moment early on when they're at Guido's house and all four of them are doing things like Thelma Ritter and Clark Gable and yep. Marilyn Monroe and Eli Wallach. It was unbelievable. I'm like, I don't even know where to look in yeah. the shot. There's so much great acting going on and that was almost like overwhelming at points like you said this is just an amazing you mean like when they were doing the dancing and she's knocking on her cast everybody's doing things yes the the way they cut there's your editor I think with his jump cuts maybe the way they're cutting that Mm -hmm. scene like back and forth to all these people Mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting yeah Thelma Ritter's great while Montgomery Cliff is a four time Oscar nomination and never won not right no no we're very angry about that we hate that we do but (laughs) the one person who does have an Oscar is Clark Clark Gable. Gable for yes. It Happened One Night. Yes. So Clark Gable, in my opinion, this is Clark Gable's best film, his best role. Absolutely. Hands down. Absolutely. I think he was fantastic in mm-hmm. this. Yes. I think Clark Gable, in my opinion, acts like Clark Gable in most roles, but this is very, <laughs> this is very, very much a character that yes. he is portraying here. Yes. And I think he did a wonderful job mm-hmm. on this film. And he himself said this was one of his favorite performances. Oh. So and also Marilyn, I thought Marilyn was fantastic in this film. Yeah, I I think it's one of her best performances, too. I think it's up there with Niagara and Don't Bother to Knock as movies that really gave her an opportunity to really, really do that dramatic acting that I think that she really wanted to do. She's such a great comedian, too. I mean, you know, everybody acts like she was just being herself, but that wasn't ever fair to her. She was very much a great Great actress in comedy, but I do love her drama roles, and I do think this is one of her best roles. And she had quite the struggle getting through this particular film, as we mentioned before, married to Arthur Miller, but that was severely on the rocks. John Huston is a kind of director that he's been known in the past to do rewrites day of or the day before, handing you script pages the day before that you have to learn and somehow be able to go on to and shoot the next day. And now that's a real struggle for Marilyn because Marilyn liked to have a lot of preparation Uh time. She had Paula Strasberg with her. She seemed to feel like she needed these ridiculous acting coaches (laughs) that she probably didn't need. That she probably didn't. That's my opinion too. I feel like there's a lot of debate as to whether or not she, you know, did they help? Did they not? 
up, I feel like they hindered her. I feel yeah, like they, feel they like really too. made her feel more insecure yeah. and just used her for their mm-hmm. own publicity. Yeah, that's how I feel, yeah, too. I, I think agree. she was very talented on her own. Because like I said, one of the ones I mentioned was Don't Bother to Knock very early in her career. Yeah. Incredible dramatic performance. Way before I think she met the Strasbourg. So yeah. I have- how are they going to make any money off of her if they don't keep her thinking she needs them? Yep. But anyhow, so she was struggling with Arthur Miller at this time. And he kind of wrote this character based on her and yeah. also pulled out a lot of her major flaws, which could not have felt good to sit there and try to portray your own flaws on camera as you're being given script pages the night before that you have no yeah. idea what's going to happen. Yeah. And, yeah. and they, people complained Marilyn Monroe's always late to the set. She was up, first of all, she was up all night trying to learn the script. Yeah, to begin yeah, I mean, with. That's, that's a ridiculous thing to do to actors to begin with. And then especially someone like Marilyn, who, who did, you know, struggle with a lot of, if not stage fright, then something similar to it yes. to begin with. And it, you know, that's so hard. That's yeah, so hard she then. was very terrified to ever come on. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the reason why she wouldn't. Plus, at this point, both Marilyn and Montgomery Clift, we have to call a spade a spade, both drug addicts, yeah, both in a really bad state bad. at this point. As yeah. a matter of fact, they had medical people on call in case something oh, wow. would occur. Oh, wow, I don't think I ever heard yeah. that, but that doesn't, that doesn't yeah. surprise because me. Because they That's thought so at any sad. moment, Marilyn or Monty could have a disastrous thing occur, yeah. and they, they had to... And then, of course, the irony being they at least both made it through this, yeah. and then Clark, Clark Gable, Gable passed away two days later, so it was like he yep. was the one who basically he almost didn't them. make it through. Yep. Yeah, and he at, needed it more than they actually, did at that they, moment. And actually, they didn't want to insure Clark Gable at first. Really? Yeah, because he was in such poor health. So all that nonsense of, that people say about Marilyn being the cause of Clark Gable's death, that's absolutely oh, absurd. No. no, that's absurd. absurd. I mean, honestly, it was almost certainly the, the working conditions. And the fact that he shouldn't yeah. have done the stunt at the end, the big right. the big wrangling, which, like I said, when I was watching this with my husband, I'm like, it's like watching Clark yeah. Gable die. It's yeah. like, this is like what caused his death just a few days later. Yeah, and well, it's that's, like, that's, that's horrifying. Your, that's your director, John Huston. Yeah. you, <laughs> I love it. I, I love your very strong opinion on John Huston. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that's your that's your director, John Huston. He, he did, had no mercy for his actors. Yeah. But yeah, Clark Gable, and also a lifelong smoker and drinker. Yes. I mean, yeah. that might have perhaps had something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And also just the heat. I'm sure it was very, yeah. very hot in I, Nevada. No, I think they said it was like 100. I had yeah, written, I thought I mean, written down like 102 hot. degrees or something daily. I mean, it, they, yeah. it, was, it was a mess. But let's start to talk a little bit about the plot here. Okay. So <laughs> some of the dialogue in this film, I mean, Arthur Miller, yeah, I appreciate he's a great playwright, but sometimes the dialogue is a little much. In certain places, <laughs> I just kind of like, oh, come on, you know? I, the- I actually felt the opposite because really? I love melodrama. And so I feel like it was very, there was a lot of really philosophical dialogue. Yes. Like people don't talk the way yes. that most of the characters talk That's in this correct. movie. But I still loved it. You it was the it. type of stuff that like, I, you know, I love that kind of stuff. But it is, you're right. Yeah. It is a little much. It really is. I it was like very it some- Sometimes and then other times I'm just like, just get to your point. (laughs) Come on. But the film starts out, and this is interesting. The film starts out, we see well Thelma Ritter, Mm -hmm. and we actually first off we see Guido, which is played by Eli Wallach. He's this car mechanic. He's coming to this house to check out this car that obviously he's been called. Mm -hmm. And Thelma Ritter comes out, and what we find out is she's kind of this lady that runs this boarding house Mm -hmm. for women that are coming to Reno to get a divorce. Because back in the day, you would come to Reno and you'd have to stay there there for an extended Six period weeks. of time. Yes. Yeah. That's something that I love about this movie is that at the time they didn't really give explanation in the movie very much right. about what's going on because in 1961 everybody knew. Knew. Yeah, knew. And that's something that modern audiences I don't know that they no. understand that divorce was almost impossible back then. Right. And you had to go and stay at some place like Nevada and you would stay in Reno for like six weeks. Yep. And uh, Thelma Ritter's character had to go with Marilyn's character to say, yes, she's been here six weeks. Because yeah. people would try to be like, oh, I'm just going to rent a place for six weeks, but then I'm going to go home. And it was like, no, you had to be accountable yeah. for like the whole six weeks. And so I thought that that was so interesting. And I love that about the movie, that it starts out that way. And yeah, the and thing she, that there's yeah. no explanation in the movie, but we almost need one now because it's not normal. Yeah, and she point. says at one point, you have to be my witness. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. She, Isabel is the name of Thelma Ritter's character. Rosalind is in the name of of Marilyn's character mm-hmm. and Marilyn's trying to memorize this statement yes. she's going to make, which is interesting because yes. apparently what Arthur Miller wrote in was the exact statement she made on her Joe Ma- DiMaggio divorce. Really? That's what I read. Wow. Wasn't that nice of him? 
Wow, that's intense. That's yeah. really intense. Yeah. I did think it was interesting in the film itself that Rosalind says that it's not even really true. Right. Because you, in order to get a divorce, not only did you have to stay in Reno for six weeks, there had to be a quote-unquote reason, yeah, mm-hmm. grounds for it, where she even says, like, he just wasn't a good husband. They right. just weren't happy. And she's like, these things aren't even true, but she had to go into court and say Save it them. because otherwise they wouldn't give her the divorce. And it, we kind of take for granted that you can just get a divorce for any reason yeah. now. Back then, it was almost impossible. Right. They wanted you to stay married even if you were miserable. Right, exactly. And her character, I feel like we see right off the bat, her character is kind of nervous mm-hmm. and anxious and unhappy. I yes. mean, she you get the impression that she's unhappy. As soon as Guido sees Rosalind, he's like, oh, you know, I, all the men as soon as they see Rosalind, <laughs> which I mean, of course, Marilyn Monroe is one of the most beautiful women ever to walk the earth. And they have her in this blonde wig, which normally I don't like wigs on, but I thought it actually made her look really sort of angelic and pure. It, it did. I actually didn't realize it was a wig. I didn't. I like pick out wigs, which is funny because I love wigs and I yeah. wear wigs. This is when I do cosplay, but I can never pick them out. I didn't realize it was a wig, but it did look angelic. Yeah. I remember at one point the way they lit it, it, it actually looked like yeah. a halo she around her. She looked very sweet and yes, innocent. It was a lovely. Yeah. It was lovely hair. Yeah. Which is a nice character for her because mm-hmm. we all know Marilyn was often vilified for being scandalous, I guess, or, yeah. and having affairs or whatever, but we're not going to get into that. But yes. We love Marilyn here. Yeah, we do. We love Marilyn. <laughs> so she sees Guido they go off and they they go to the courthouse and her husband shows up and the interesting thing about her husband is that's Kevin McCarthy Kevin McCarthy was actually brought on this film because they thought he would be helpful to Montgomery Cliff because he was a great friend of Montgomery Mm -hmm. Cliff for many many years Mm -hmm. and they were so worried about Montgomery Cliff's state of mind Mm -hmm. and his addiction problems that they thought having him there would be kind of a a helpful thing, which meanwhile, it made no difference at all. And actually, Monty was excellent on this shoot. He had very little trouble. They Mm -hmm. said he was letter perfect with all of his script. He caused no trouble at all and no problems in production. And he was really easy to deal with in this particular film. So it didn't matter. But Kevin McCarthy also was in another Arthur Miller film that he's known for Death of a Salesman. That's right. And I think he was nominated for Academy Award for Death of a Salesman. You know what's funny is I always... Uh, connect him to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's the uh. that's it. And and it's also funny because that movie has a reference to his character gets divorced and that and had to go to Reno. So it's funny <laughs> then that like two movies I always think of when I think about people having to go to Reno for divorce is Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the Misfits and he's, and in, he's both in both of, of them. them. But that's always my connection. But yeah, in yeah. Death of a Salesman. So yeah. he does try to half-heartedly convince Marilyn to or not divorce, not divorce him. And then she says, she stands up for herself despite being nervous and shy and whatever she is and sad that she seems to be pretty strong character wise she she doesn't necessarily let people push her around yes i do really love that about her character and he shows up then but she's like no it's too late you only want me because you're about to lose me like no and then and then we cut and we don't see his character again i I forgot that we didn't see him again until it's about halfway through i'm like oh yeah that's right he doesn't come back i always forget it's like a split second really he's gone he's gone he's very gone we didn't need you for montgomery cliff go away (laughs) 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 no just kidding but anyhow what they wind up doing afterwards is going she's obviously very stressed out afterwards so they yeah. go have a drink and she's yeah. she's kind of freaked out this is a really poignant scene i think where she's talking about her mother mm-hmm. and how her mother was never there for her which is mm-hmm. kind of poignant because that's very mm-hmm. accurate to marilyn's Marilyn. life her mother yeah. was a paranoid schizophrenic she had major mental health problems mm-hmm. marilyn hardly ever spent any time with her she wound up in a mental institution mm-hmm. so and she never knew her father yeah. so it's, it's kind of a very poignant scene and, and she looks so distressed in yeah. this scene and again arthur miller making her relive these things yeah just really really sad but yeah it's a really beautiful scene and she does a great job in that and mm-hmm. but then she cheers up and she says let's get some drinks and she sees this dog yeah and it's another thing I think to sort of represent the innocence of her character mm-hmm. the way she is with the dogs and mm-hmm. the horses this yes. is something that was done a lot yes. in silent films where D.W. Griffith would put his actresses that he wanted to be sweet pure and virginal with animals animals 
Yeah. So yeah. you see her with the dog, and and the dog. We find out the dog belongs to Clark Gable, whose yes. his name in the film is Gay, <laughs> which you know this day people would be like, "What kind of name is that?" But you know, well, isn't it like Gay Lord? Yeah. yeah, everybody that, that calls him. That was a name back yeah, in the it day. Was the name. It, was. it was a name. Like everybody has interesting. Yeah. Like I feel Montgomery Cliff's name. What is it? Purse. 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 And I'm like, I've never heard that name. P E R C E. Because yeah. I always have the closed captions on. I'm like, wow, that's so yeah. interesting. So like, well, and Guido. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, so we see actually Gay is sitting there with Guido at the bar and he wonders where his dog's gone. And then he sees Marilyn. And again, he's also (gasps) stunned by Marilyn's beauty and Rosalind, whatever. And Guido's like, oh, yeah, wait, I know her. I know know her. Yeah. He even mentioned her to Gay or like when they were like writing Mm -hmm. before they knew they were going to run into her again. So I did think that was like a nice little thing of they were thinking about her all day. Yeah. <laughs> but so anyhow, they run into them and they convince them to go to this house. They have Guido has this unfinished house in the countryside or something. Yeah, that that house is amazing because yeah. it is so weird and very much unfinished. Yeah. Have you ever seen Twin Peaks? Because it reminded me of Shelley and Leo's house in Twin Peaks, which is also this unfinished house. So there's all these rooms, the doors that open into nothing, nothing. and things, and it's like very disorienting. It's a very disorienting house in this movie. That's like that house. What is it? The Winchester. The Winchester house. house. Yes, yes. It is a very strange house in this yeah. movie, and I just kind of love it as the architecture of everything in this movie. I will say, and this sometimes is a theatrical device, everything is very heavy handed. Yeah. Everything is like the house is half finished, just like their lives are half finished, yeah. and the wild Mustangs are, are being yeah. rounded up and caught, just like yeah. they feel like they're caught. But I, I kind of love that again. I love melodrama, so that overwrought symbolism, I'm like two thumbs up. I love it. Yeah. So I loved the house. Yeah. So they wind up coming to this house, yes. and they start dancing and having a nice time you know and Marilyn's dancing with Guido and she's dancing with Gay and it's like all these men are competing for her attention yes for Isabella they're always like, what's your name again I know it's awful it's awful it's terrible but I, that's your scene that you like where they shoot yes. all the different cuts um, yes of going everyone. from person to person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. each person's doing something different and it's yeah. very busy it's it, a very it, busy it is, scene but it's it's so interesting to have such really strong actors and each one of them is doing something so interesting and so you unique and it's like gosh it's the type of stuff I love about yeah. old film I, I feel like movies are made to be so much faster now and it's much more you right. know let's do this big budget thing and there's definitely still some of that going on in smaller budget work but there's just not enough kind of smaller budget and mid-budget movies anymore that can focus on character like that yeah. and it's just really neat to see these actors that are all so talented doing all these different interesting things yeah as much as we maybe are not the biggest fan of John Huston in general he does put together beautiful films I will give him that and this is this is a beautiful film beautifully shot film so they have their little celebration and then it winds up suddenly they're deciding that it kind of does it in an odd fashion because at first Gay's trying to kind of hit on Rosalind she's like no no I don't like you like that and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden she's in bed with him yeah I, like, I felt like we got something cut out <laughs> yeah, there I, I like, really <laughs> yeah I forgot it was that abrupt and I'm like whoa yeah. I really feel like we missed a scene yeah, or two that something was... got left on the cutting room floor that we really needed because it did feel way yeah, too abrupt yeah how did it go from that to that it was, yeah. it was very strange that was really the moment more than anything else in the movie I'm just gonna have to keep going with this because I know I, I've seen it several times before but it's so interesting because it is almost like vignettes that it's hard to remember the movie all the way through unless you just saw it because a lot of the individual scenes I don't remember I always remember the stuff with the Mustangs at the yeah. end oh, yeah, but that's, that's only like so much of the movie that's maybe that's, maybe a quarter maybe a third at the yeah. most like most of it is in, in and around Reno and a lot of that is very strange to try to remember it straight through because it is like vignettes it's almost like these little moments here and there and it's not necessarily a cohesive continuing story necessarily and especially when you have moments like that where yeah. it's like you go from one thing to another I'm like I don't it's, even know yeah, why what, this what is happened? happening yeah. but I'm gonna go with it well she changed her mind apparently yeah but, apparently <laughs> yeah but the next thing you know they're living together yes. and he's he's planting all this nice garden for mm-hmm. her and making the step for her and she's I can go up I can go in the house. I can go out the house. Yeah. And she's just so cute. I she mean, is. she's just like a little kid. Yes. You get this little kid energy from her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's really very sweet. And I do think that maybe also was something Arthur Miller wrote in that was indicative of the real Marilyn, this yes. childlike quality that Marilyn yes. did have. And so then anyhow, they get into this fight because the rabbit is eating the lettuce. Yes. And this is another place where she really stands up for herself. But the rabbit's eating the lettuce and he wants to go shoot the rabbit. Yeah. And she's 
very adamant that, you know, she doesn't want the rabbit shot. She doesn't want things killed. And they get into a big fight like, mm-hmm. wait, you're not respecting me, but you're not respecting me. Yeah. And they're both very hard headed yeah. when they bang mm-hmm. up against each other. There's like no give. They're both mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. two opposite sides of the fence. But then that's interrupted because Guido shows up with Isabel, yes. which I read and I don't and I, I didn't go back to listen, but I read that Clark Gable called her Thelma. Oh my gosh, I didn't catch that. I didn't either, but I read that and I thought, is that true? And I never got a chance to go back and listen. But now (laughs) you can listen, folks, for yourself if you watch the book. He accidentally called her Thelma in that that scene, but I don't know. I can't say that for certain. And then they show Guido the house. They've made all these adjustments. And then they decide that they're going to go to Dayton to the rodeo. Yes. Because they want to pick up help to go Mustanging. Guido and Gay want to go Mustanging. And they want to go pick up help. So they all pound the car and they go. And this is, oh, this is, this is, when the movie to me just starts because this is when we see Montgomery Cliff. Yes. And yes. The, to me, he brings this, and he is not known for doing this, but he brings this very lighthearted character. Yes. And this is not Montgomery Cliff at all. No, it really isn't. And so often, like his, his he's role is very serious. And honestly, like his backstory is very serious and it's very tragic, but he's, he is, he's such a light presence. Yes. He's the sweetest of the men yes. in the movie. By, by a long shot, he's the sweetest of the three of them and just has this very kind energy yeah. around him. And yeah, I always forget that until I'm watching it. And he's so dour in a lot of his movies, yes. so broody. And he's, he's actually quite actor. funny in this movie. He is. He is. He, he's actually a Using. He still has his serious moments, and he still has a lot of some angst. You know, you can't mm-hmm. write Montgomery Cliff without some angst. I know, you know, right? I mean, even if you did write it, he would put it in. But <laughs> so they pull up, they see him at this phone booth, and and supposedly John Huston would say this is one of the greatest scenes that he's ever shot is this phone booth phone scene booth with scene. Montgomery Cliff mm-hmm. supposedly talking to his mother. Yeah. Purse. His name is Purse. Purse Howland or something. And he's talking to his mother on the phone and it's a really, really poignant scene. You already learn a ton about the character just mm-hmm. on this one phone call. Yes. And it, he just does a great job of showing what the character's feeling. Yeah. And he was always very good at that. But yes. he, it, it's phenomenal in this scene. And he comes out and he's just so cheerful and he's like what's going on he's like i need a ride to the rodeo i'm gonna ride in the rodeo and they get him in the car and then he starts he's he's getting all drunk and he's yelling out the window at people i know and i'm like oh no don't be that drunk going to the rodeo oh no but it's so cute the way he's like yelling at people he's that thing he says that (laughs) when marilyn says that she's a dancer and what did he say i once went to a nightclub that was called the naked truth and they weren't kidding. They weren't kidding, yeah. It's just so funny. He's just so cute in that car scene. I, I love that car scene so much. I just love his character in this more than anything that I've ever seen him do. So they get to the rodeo, and Purse is going to ride in the rodeo. Mm-hmm. He is gonna, he's got a horse he's going to ride. Marilyn doesn't seem to understand things like rodeos or... No, and she definitely doesn't understand the Mustang at no, all. She doesn't understand any of this. No. Stuff. But before, actually, before they go to the rodeo, I, I can't forget this scene because this is such a great scene. First, they go into that sort of little club, yes. that little uh, rat bar or whatever, and mm-hmm. there's this... <laughs> fellow there with his grandson I know and I'm like why is that kid in this rowdy bar and the grandson has that paddle ball he has the paddle ball and then the grandfather is quite drunk he's a drunken old man and he's saying oh I'll give you two dollars if you can hit the paddle ball ten times and then Marilyn takes it and she just starts hitting it and you see all these people betting money and and it gets really exciting and everybody's really exciting having a great time and then this other fellow starts slapping her butt and then Guido gets infuriated no Guido, Guido, like, what are you doing? He starts trying to attack him yeah. and so forth. And they wind up winning all this money from her just hitting this paddle ball. Yeah. But what's really funny in that particular scene is that <laughs> the grandfather buys the little boy like a glass of pop, right? Okay. And then so he says, here's a pop for you, Sonny. And he's sitting up on the bar. He's drinking his little pop. And when they're all watching Marilyn, they're all focused on Marilyn. Thelma, she has a drink nearby. Her name, Isabel, has a drink nearby. And she picks up this boy's pop thinking it's her drink. And she picks it up and she's like, oh, this doesn't taste like there's any alcohol. And so she pours all this whiskey in and then she drinks and then she puts it back down. And then the little boy picks it up and drinks it. Oh, no, I didn't even catch that. I'm sure I did in the past, but I did not catch (laughs) that this time. Oh, my gosh. I have to go back and at least watch that part. The little boy picks up this drink and he's just drinking the soda pop. And at the end of the scene, when they're all leaving, Leaving, the kid's like totally drunk on the bar and oh, then no. and, and the grandfather goes Fletcher where'd you get the money 
it's just so priceless, that little part right there. It's so cute. But so they go out into the thing, and there's this church lady who I also think is interesting character as oh, well. Oh, she, she irritates me. I'm like, get yeah. away from them. And then Marilyn just starts giving yeah. them the money. She's like, because like sinners. She, sinners, sinners. And actually, it really made me mad, especially, I think, because yeah. everybody always called Marilyn, like, oh, you're, you know. Yeah. I think that actually like, it irritated me. And like, she's giving them, I'm literally yelling at the screen, don't give them your money. Yeah. You worked hard at that <laughs> That Don't give that old yeah. mean religious lady your money. And you got and you got sexually harassed. Wait, too. she got she got sexually harassed. Like my gosh! Don't give up your money. Yeah. So she's she this lady's coming over and she's guilting Marilyn and saying, oh, oh. you know, be a good girl, help yeah. a, you know, redeem your soul. And Marilyn's just like putting money in. And, for, and, and I love when Clark Gable Clark puts his hat over the thing. Like I think that's enough. Well, and he like, says she ain't sin that much. That's right. That's right. She ain't sin that. Much. Much. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. So anyhow, yeah. And then they go to the well, and Isabel sees her ex-husband on the street. Okay, this scene has always been so weird to me because we lose Isabel. That's it. We yeah, don't ever see her again. Like she just sees like all of a sudden she's like, oh, there's my husband, ex-husband and his new wife, wife. and they're gonna stay with me for a week and I'm gonna go off with them. And then that's it. I remember Every single time I see this movie and that scene comes up, I'm like, that's right. Like, the first time I'm like, oh, where is she going? And then she never comes back. And every time I'm always like, there goes Selma Ritter. And it makes me sad because yeah. I love her yeah, character. It's, it's and a it's shame such, to lose her. It's such an abrupt ending. It does feel yeah. like a play. It feels like how you would lose somebody in yeah. a play. Then you don't normally have characters just disappear like that in films. But at the same time, this movie is so much about their misfits. They'll come yeah. and they'll go and there's no sense of stability. And so I think it still very much works for what the movie is saying, but I'm always like, I miss her. I miss her when yeah. she's gone because I like it when there's the two female characters and the two male characters. We have a little bit more balance and then all of a sudden Marilyn is completely with, outnumbered with and doesn't really men. talk to any more women for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and the husband's new wife was her best friend. That's right. And, and so she, I'm like, why? And she's like totally not mad about it. Yeah, she's, she's like, no, oh, well, that's the way it is. I couldn't even, I lost the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, that's how they bad never a wife. did find yeah. it yeah, or something. something like that. So yeah, she goes off with them and they go to the rodeo and then this is when Marilyn starts starts to recognize that the rodeo is not a place she likes because yeah. she's sitting in the stands with Guido and gays with purse trying mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get him on his horse and stuff. And Guido explains to her why the horses are bucking. And she's like, that's not fair. Yeah. And she gets all upset about it. Yeah. But then she's distracted because, again, we see that little grandpa man and the little child. And she's trying to walk up the stairs. And he's all entangled in the paddle ball. That's right. That's right. That paddle ball. And she starts laughing back. about that. And she thinks that's so funny. That guy was just really funny. I was really confused because it said that James Barton played Fletcher's grandfather, which I thought was the role. But then later on, I read that Rex Bell played that character. And then there's even a picture of Rex Bell. It's listed that he's Rex Bell, but yet it says that this James Barton played the character. So I really am confused at this point. I know. I meant to actually check because I felt like I recognized the guy. I tried to guy. check, yeah. but I got two different answers two different to answers. the same question. So I do not know. Interesting. I, it says on the credits, James Barton and his Fletcher's grandfather, so I have to assume that it's him. I thought maybe Rex Bell played the guy that smacked her butt. Oh. But I'm not sure. I, I don't know. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. But I was very confused. <laughs> so if anybody knows the answer, please tell me. <laughs> and then knows for a fact. Maybe somebody like related to <laughs> Rex yeah. Bell or James Barton. So they go to the rodeo and then Purse starts to ride his horse and he falls off the horse yes. and Marilyn becomes a strut. She's screaming. She's running down to the thing. Yeah. And she's yeah. all upset and he's kind of dazed and he comes out and they're trying to patch him up and actually an interesting thing is the fellow that played the ambulance driver or the the guy that's trying to patch him up Mm -hmm. a little bit was Marilyn Monroe's personal friend and masseuse his name was Ralph Roberts and he was cast as the ambulance attendant in the film's rodeos scene he was kind of a stabilizing force on Marilyn so yeah he kind of had the same role that Kevin McCarthy yeah so I think that's why he was there and and she's all distraught she's trying to take him to the hospital and, and Gay's like stop trying to run things and again this is where you get the two mm-hmm. characters butting heads mm-hmm. and she's like no he's got to go to the hospital and then they sort of bandage him up and, and then they announce a bull riding and Purse is like oh I got to go to the bull ride and Gay's like no no you got a couple more minutes and then she really starts yeah. freaking out she's like what's going on he's not going to go ride a bull and we just yeah. like well he just wants to ride the bull yeah yeah and, and she's trying to give him the money that they won saying yeah. don't ride the bull here's the money and she said why are you doing it why are you doing it and mm-hmm. he said 
I put in for it. I entered as yeah. if that's yeah. the most yeah. normal reason to go yeah. ride the bull. You see a, a scene when he first gets on the horse where the horse bucks up and rears up. Mm-hmm. That happened in real life. And later on, you'll see he has a cut across the bridge of his nose and the back of his shirt is ripped. Mm-hmm. That actually happened when the horse reared up. Okay. And John Houston just kept that in the scene because it looked good for the yeah. situation. Wow. But yeah, when the horse reared up, he did get wow. the cut on his nose. Yeah, so grief. he falls off the bull as well and then he's knocked unconscious yeah, and the yeah. bull's starting to come to attack That's him and right, Rosalind yeah. is freaking out and Gay has to run into the thing and get him out and she thinks he's practically dead, dead. she's crying in the car this and that and eventually he's all patched up again and they give him like some sort of painkillers or something and they, they send them on the way and they go to the bar and start having drinks and yes. there's a scene again a really poignant scene where he and Marilyn go mm-hmm. out in the back Yeah, it's this one long shot that John Houston was really afraid to do because he thought both Marilyn and Montgomery Montgomery Cliff Cliff were unreliable. Mm -hmm. And they said it was maybe even one of the longest shots of his career in film. And because each of them were more worried about the other person, Mm. that they managed to get it right with only six takes. Wow. And Marilyn was notorious for doing bazillion takes. Yeah, I actually thought that shot and then the shot when she and Gay are talking when she's laying down in the back of the truck once they're out mustanging. Mm. Those are two really long takes. And I just especially knowing that everybody's like, oh, Marilyn could never yet to do everything and almost like yep. pick up shots and everything. Those are incredibly long takes. Yeah. You don't even get that kind of stuff in modern filmmaking. And they're great. The yeah. acting is fantastic in both scenes. People are really at the top of their game. Montgomery Clift, Clark Gable, and Marilyn were all yeah. very much toward the end of their careers. This is obviously the last film for both Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe. And yeah. one of Montgomery Clift's last movies. I think he only made like a handful of maybe he three made or four. three after that. I thought it was three. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like three more after this. So there's almost no more films for them after this. But still just seeing the acting, the caliber yeah. of the acting is incredible. Yeah, it is. It movie. is incredible. And especially that scene with him and Marilyn. Yes. And he's talking about his family. Yes. Again, here's Montgomery Clift being able to do what he does best is this angst. Yes. He's known for that. He's very good at it. And you really feel for him and you feel for Marilyn. It's like two lost souls is what they seem like. And it was like that in real life. Real life. life. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw an interview that Montgomery Cliff gave. He gave one televised interview, which I was lucky enough to see on the High Gardner show. And at one point, High Gardner asked him, what's the best actress you've ever worked with? And he said, the most receptive actress I've ever worked with is Marilyn Monroe. And he worked with some phenomenal actresses. Yeah. He didn't say best. He said most receptive, but still, I thought that was a high compliment. Yeah. Yeah, to Marilyn Monroe. Very much. And then there's that scene where Gay thinks his children. Oh, I gosh. never understood that. You know, that's such an were interesting... Were they there? Yeah. The first time I saw it when I was young, I remember thinking they were there and then they left. left. But this time, I really felt like they weren't, weren't there. there. Like he just because invented Guido, it. He said, where's who? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like he would have... And then I think he was just kind of playing along yeah. with it. Like, oh, they're gone. But I watched his reaction this time, really trying to figure out, were Gay's kids there or not? And I really think he was so drunk, he imagined. Yeah, he imagined there. And he goes out and he's climbing on his car, yelling. Freaking out. A really good job by Clark Gable. Mm -hmm. I never thought Clark Gable had that kind of acting in him. I'll be quite honest. Right. And then it's always interesting when you do have these moments in people's careers where you really see them doing something that you had no idea they could. And then you're like, I wish more people had done that with this actor because I feel like we could have gotten more. Yeah. Maybe maybe he wasn't so always typecast in leading male roles. Maybe he would have had a little bit more freedom to do this kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. so if they existed or didn't exist, they're not there now. They're not there now. (laughs) And they all pile in the car. And then there's this thing again when they're driving home and Guido is going extremely fast. I don't like the way Guido treats Marilyn or Rosalind. It's almost like he's, I don't want to say gaslighting, but he's very toxic towards her. Like, I will do this if you do something for me. Yeah, it's very awful. I, I dislike it a immensely. Yeah. And it's interesting earlier in the film, we forgot to mention when she was at the house, he told her the story about how his wife died. Basically, she was having a baby. He was up doing something with the house. Apparently, she had complications and she died. And she asked, why didn't you go get a doctor and, or take her to the hospital? And he said he had a flat tire and he didn't have a spare. And so she makes several comments throughout yeah. the film about not having a spare tire. And yeah. I think she even says it's a gay at one point. Yeah. Like, what if you don't have a spare tire? Sort yeah. of like, you just let this 
woman die because you didn't have a spare tire. Yeah. It, there's some sort of other symbolism behind that, but she refers to that several times. Yeah, she does. It really bothers her. I actually feel like she talks about it more than Guido talks about it, even though it clearly bothers him. And I think some of his toxicity comes from that and probably yeah. some of the self-blame. Like, there is a lot of great moments with each of the characters that we get this sense of where their trauma is coming yeah. from, where and that the pain P- is coming from. He talks about the PTSD from the war, Yes, too. that's right. He does. In and that, that, that was a really... I always find it interesting when we have those earlier movies, like anything before 1970. I know that's our cutoff year. And I think that it's interesting because we talk more about PTSD now than we did back then. And he really does talk about it. And at that time, people weren't really talking. It was always just like, oh, we went to war and we defeated the Germans and everything was great. And it's like, there was a lot of pain that was brought back from that war that people didn't talk about. So I did think that that was interesting to have him. Yeah, when he talks about dropping the bombs and the puppy dogs and the... Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that's a a dark, grim, grim monologue. So yeah. 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 That we like, but then he starts to do what we said. He kind of try and force Marilyn to yeah. or Rosalind to be with him yes. or do what yeah. he says yes. or whatever. Yeah. And like and she yeah. doesn't she never yeah. goes along with it. You're right. It is a very strong character. Like even though she has a lot of pain and she is very sad, she is. She's she knows what she wants, she knows who she is, yeah. and she very much fights for that. She is yeah, very she's not stubborn. gonna let some man push her into a corner that she doesn't want to be pushed yeah. into. Yeah. I mean you get the impression she already felt like that in her yeah. marriage and she she came out to Reno. That's how she ended up here was to get away from that. Right. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they go back to the house and there's a kind of funny scene where <laughs> they're all drunk and Guido's trying to build the house and oh, Montgomery Clift right. is trying to fight. Clark Gable, <laughs> they're very drunkenly trying to like put up their fists and because he doesn't understand why he has bandages all over his Yeah, head. that's right. He He's says, starting to take off the bandages. You leave me at a disadvantage all night. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just really like that. But anyhow, so... Whatever, that happens. And then they decide to go Mustanging. And then Marilyn, again, obviously doesn't know what Mustanging entails because she just goes along quite willingly with them until they get up there. And again, it's Guido that says something about, because she's wondering why the dog seems upset. And he he gives some vague reference of what they're going to do to the horses. And suddenly she's on high alert. Like, wait, what's this all about? And she finds out that what they're doing is they're rounding up these wild Mustangs to sell them to dealers to be killed and made into into dog dog food. food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she becomes extremely upset yes. with Gay, and she's incredibly angry with him. But he tells her, it's that scene that you're talking about when yeah. she's laying on the truck, and he tells mm-hmm. her that's not how it was originally, originally done. It no. got changed on him, and then he compares it to her dancing and how I don't look at you that way because of your dancing. And, and mm-hmm. she kind of warms towards him again yeah. Yeah. until they actually get into the truck and she sees yeah. what exactly it's yeah. entailing. And this scene, I don't like to watch these scenes. No. Because I hate seeing, I'm sure that the horses were not harmed, but it doesn't look nice to see. No, it doesn't look nice like the, the horse wrangling. It's, it's actually very, very stressful. And it's I awful. always forget just how stressful it is until I'm yeah. watching it. And then I'm watching it. I'm like, this is just yeah, so, so terrible. Yeah, it's awful to see. And then like they said, the guys are pulling these ropes and pulling these horses down. And they said that Montgomery Clift had forgotten his gloves on the one scene. And John Houston wouldn't stop to let him get gloves. So he said by the end of the scene, his hands it's were just bloody, bloody and raw because of the ropes and then again you have that scene where Clark Gable is being dragged by the horse yes yes um, that's I feel like one again, of the really famous yeah, shots of yeah. the movie but what sort of happens in that part is that Marilyn once she finds out what they're doing she gets really upset and she yes. starts screaming at them and throwing this huge tantrum and yeah. flipping out yeah I love that shot I love that shot when they're getting the stallion they've already gotten them and she's the way in the... she's way back she runs off and she's in that she's long shrieking, shot yeah. and she is just yelling butchers you're like, three dead men. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing of like, you want to kill everything? Why don't you just go kill yourself? I mean, it's yeah. it's intense. Yeah. It's just this incredible, incredible little monologue. And it, I love that he did it in that long shot because it just feels so much more powerful. Yeah. And that's so interesting to me that we think of these close-ups for this emotion, but that far away, there's something just seeing her whole body just freaking out and shaking. It's yeah. it's incredible. It's again, such a great performance. And I that that's actually always the scene. Like when I think of this movie, it's usually that shot. Yeah, that's, that's the shot it's that very I'm like, memorable. Yeah. 
Yeah. And also, at one point, Clark Gable says, oh, this has been changed around. Why don't we give this horses to her? And she comes up and says, I'll pay you $200 for him." And he gets infuriated yeah. because he's like, they're fighting this battle. Yes. Man versus woman. You're not going to make me do anything right. I don't exactly. want to. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. it also comes to terms later on as well. Again, this is another time when Guido says, I can cut those horses loose for you. Yeah. If, if you be, with, be me. with me. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he does it a second time. Yeah. And she's just like, no. Yeah, she's just and like, she, no. She, I, I don't remember exactly what she says to him, but she's... It's, it's harsh. She it's gets, actually yeah, really, she, really harsh about She's his, like saying something about you're crying over your bombs and your wife. And yeah, yeah, she, yeah gives him, she, she gives him the what for. really does. Like, yeah. she really cuts him down to size. And then I do love that Purse also offers to cut them loose, but there are no strings attached yeah. with that. And he does end up cutting them loose. Right. And well, you can see throughout the thing that Purse is bothered by this as yes. well. I mean, yes. he's going along with Gay, but he says numerous times, like, doesn't seem like it's worth it for five yeah. horses or yeah. it doesn't seem like it's worth it. He keeps saying it over and over yeah. again. Yeah, and it's also the fact that they used to have so many more horses and they came up there and they thought there were going to be 15 yeah. and then there's five five, five, five and like a colt yeah. or something. And, it, and, and that one scene where the mother is tied down oh, and the colt, the God, colt is like kills me. It's horrible. Hitting, like, yeah, hitting the your neck with this is trying to oh, yeah. that is trying so to get her sad. to come up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you love animals, it is a hard thing it to is. watch. It is. And I it don't is. want to to talk any more about the plot because we haven't really spoiled the film yet and we oh, that's true yeah Not so we'll, we'll just true. say all right fair enough you'll, you'll have to see what happens there but i will say that the ending is so poignant it to is. me because the ending scene you're going to see something that you're never going to see again on camera yeah after after that, that moment. Yeah. And it, when you think of it in that regard. Yeah. And that's when I really think the music also. Yes. Yes. It, it's a good part mm-hmm. for the music. It's very poignant. I've yeah. never watched this film and not cried at the end. I know. i just very touched always by the end of this film. Yes. So that is The Misfits. Do you have anything you want to mention? Ooh. One of the things I do like, and we've mentioned it a little bit about how Clark Gable talks about how they've changed things up because originally they were Mustanging and it was to give kids horses for Christmas. I mean, obviously the horses probably want to be wild, right? But at least the idea was we are doing this so kids can have horses and now they're getting sent off for dog food. And I love they've changed it on us and this idea of the world moving on and past where you are and, and changing. And I also love, I have to mention this because I've been joking about it with my husband. I think I joked about it before. I love that every single time they talk about whatever they're doing, they're like, this is better than wages. Yep, it's yep, better than wages. Everything repeatedly. is always like they do not want to work a nine to five job. Job. So it's like they say it like maybe four or five times, like this is better than wages, better than wages. So like today we were talking about something like it's better than wages. Yeah. And I just love that. That's a great yeah, little. Especially Gay. Gay yes. says it more than anybody yes. in the film. Yes. So he is still trying to be that cowboy. He yeah. doesn't want to conform to norms. Yes. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very much mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Now, this film did terrible in the box office. I know. Sadly. Makes me sad. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they referred to it as a box office disaster. Mm-hmm. And this is a film with Marilyn Monroe in. Yeah. And that it was not very common in Marilyn Monroe films. She was a huge box office hit. You also had Clark. I mean, the people you had in this film, the director you had in this film, the fact that people hated it uh, at the time. mm -hmm. What a shame, because obviously we know now that this film is excellent. Yeah. Critically acclaimed nowadays. Nowadays. And what's so interesting about it is I think I saw this movie when I was 13 or 14. So it would have been like the late 90s. And I remember even then people didn't really love it. I remember it was hard to find because, you know, that's back in the days you had to find the VHS and everybody was always like it's not a very good movie you know basically the only reason you want to watch it is because it's Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe's last films and then it's been interesting because in that amount of time just in the last 25 years you've really seen it people have finally started appreciating because what was interesting is you know I went into it expecting oh it's not going to be very good you know whatever and I remember it wasn't maybe my favorite movie of any of theirs at the time but it stuck with me I thought about it more than I thought about a lot of their other movies and then as I've gotten older I found more of an appreciation for it of how hard it is to live in the world and that's what the movie's about it's hard to be in this world and that's what it's getting at and I think just because Clark Gable is known for lighter films and Marilyn was known for lighter films and this is not a light film no. this is a gloomy movie no. and so I think that was a lot of it but I have been happy to see that it's gotten that yeah. critical acclaim. and this part of the reason why it might have not had as much success too is that we're dealing with united artists we're not dealing with some huge mm. like MGM or some mm. big big 
So I don't know how the distribution was for this film. Mm -hmm. Also, at one point, they had to shut down production because they said they had to send Marilyn to the hospital because she was so overwrought. She had to be in the hospital for two weeks. But what I have heard and what I have read, and whether this is true or not, I don't know, but I suspect it might be, that John Huston was a constant gambler, and he exceeded his gambling allowance, Mm -hmm. and he blew a bunch of the production money. Oh, no! And so he had to send Marilyn (sighs) off to get hospitalized to save the production money good grief that's what i hear and i kind of believe it because i've heard other stories about him being a humongous gambler yeah one other thing that i wanted to mention is that there was always the story that arthur miller wrote this screenplay for marilyn in hopes of saving their marriage and then the big irony is yeah i've heard the on-set photographer inga mora ended up being his wife he met her on On the the set set while he was making this movie trying to save his marriage to marilyn monroe and he stayed married to inga for the rest of his life yeah. his daughter rebecca miller is that's who his daughter that is, that is true so he and, wasn't trying that hard to save his marriage yeah i mean either that or it was way past saving but i remember reading about that when i was a kid i'm like oh my gosh literally you were writing this to try to save your marriage and you met your next yeah. wife on the set inga morath has beautiful photography she's very very talented absolutely in her own right i love her photography i just have always thought it was interesting that yeah. that's such a piece of film history yeah, there I, I do believe he was trying to write the script for her and be on the film with her to try to save the marriage but i think once they actually got Onto I, the yeah, film. I mean, was, I, they were always yeah, a really a weird mess. match. Yeah. Marilyn was really very intellectual, yes. and, and she wanted to be more appreciated yeah. for that. And I think she felt like I'm he going to marry this her. intellectual yeah. mm-hmm. person. And I just think that he think was rather terrible. emotionally abusive towards her. I believe. Yeah, that. that yeah, yeah, I could. I could very much. See I, that. I, I heard a story about when they were in the Prince and the Showgirl, and he would not allow the staff to look at him. I could see that. Yeah, I could see so, that. Anyhow, one thing we do here on Silver Screen Time Machine is we give our star ratings. So Ooh. it's between one and five, one being the worst, five being the best. What do you give the misfits? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's so hard. It is hard. It is hard. I'd say four and a half. I'm going to do four and a half. I don't feel like it's a perfect film. Like we said, there's these really weird jumps at times. You can't always follow the emotions, but I do love it. I love so much about it. And I love what it represents in film too. And like this moment and the performances. Yes, four and a half. I'll go four and a half. Okay. I'm going to give it a four. The reason I don't give it higher is because I am so bothered by the horse scenes. It bothers me immensely. Um, I love the cinematography. Mm -hmm. I love I love the location shots. Mm-hmm. I love the acting. The acting in this film is what this film is about. Yes. This film is about the acting. Mm-hmm. Every actor in this film is phenomenal. Amazing. From Thelma Ritter, Eli Wallach, Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, Montgomery Clift. It's amazing. It's my favorite performance from Montgomery Clift just mm-hmm. because I like the lighthearted character. It might be my favorite performance from Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. and it's definitely my favorite performance mm-hmm. from Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. So Very good. Four. <laughs> so anyhow, thank you so much for being our guest today. I appreciate you coming in, Gwendolyn. And like you said, check out Gwendolyn's books. And maybe sometime we'll see you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, my pleasure. And for Silver Screen Time Machine, this is Wendy saying goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And please leave us a comment or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Intro and outro music composed by Heidi Engel. Artwork by Tyler Birch. Produced and edited by Wendy Wittick. Recorded at PCTV Studios, Pittsburgh, PA. See you next time.